1: With Alex and Alex and, Alex and Alex and Foxy, Alex Alex If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gon' stop me? How you gon' stop me? We can go head to head, call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Buddy here Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton running point This is a
2: Benedict for the shot If anybody gon' come in the post Then we got Miles Turner for the block Setting the pace, going to the top Setting the pace, going to the top This is your number one podcast Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop Smooth
1: What is going on Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. And my oh my, we have a show for you. The Indiana Pacers made a trade Wednesday afternoon. They traded away picks 29 and 32 to the Denver Nuggets for a future first round pick. 2024 pick that the OKC Thunder sent them just last week and pick 40, which they also acquired in that trade. So the Pacers now have moved two picks in this year's draft for just one, but they also get a future pick. We're going to talk with Ryan Hammer about that in the first segment. And then Fachi is going to be joined by forward Taylor Hendricks from UCF. That's right, Taylor Hendricks, a guy that we are very, very high on, a guy that could be potentially an Indiana Pacer in 24 hours. So hope you guys enjoy that conversation. And then Sam Ferris from Draft Dummies is going to join me in the last segment to talk all things NBA draft. It was recorded on Tuesday night before this trade happens. So if there's any overlap in conversation there, I do apologize, but I think you're going to love the content there. So we're almost there, everybody. Buckle up. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to break down this trade with Ryan Hammer. Look at some guys that could be available at pick 40 and then get Ryan's prediction
0: who he thinks the Pacers take with the seventh overall pick. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. All right, everybody, we
1: are back, and we're going to break down this trade really quickly because I got Ryan Hammer on to talk with me about this, so I just want to run it down. Indiana trades 29-32 and for a 2024 first-round pick that the Thunder just traded to the Nuggets, and they get pick 40 in this year's draft. So, yeah, they don't have 29-32 this year's draft. They move down to 40. You're thinking that doesn't make sense, but that 2024 first-round pick next year could be very valuable. You could attach it to different things for other trades, but it's got some... Weird protections on it, but the Pacers basically are going to get the worst draft position of this pick. So whoever has a better record, the Pacers are more than likely going to get that pick. Now, Houston, Utah, the Clippers, and OKC are the four teams here that are involved with this pick. So to make it easy, let's look at this year's outcome of the draft and kind of give you an idea of how this will work for next year if the same scenario happened to play out. So Houston's at pick four, Utah's at nine, OKC's at 12, and the Clippers were at 20, but they traded that to Houston. It might have been for the Eric Gordon trade, I'm not sure, but we know that this is where L.A. would have been based on their record, but that pick belonged to Houston. So out of these four, obviously, Houston at 20, which was the Clippers' previous pick, is the worst pick of the four. So that's what the Pacers would get in this scenario if that whole thing played out again next year. So Pacers are going to get the worst of the pick based on all four teams. We'll see how that plays out. So next year, you're basically rooting against... Houston, Utah, the Clippers and OKC want them to have the worst record as possible. So the Pacers can have the best draft pick possible. You just don't want them to be in the top 10 more than likely because this is a 1-4 through four protected for Houston and 1-10 through 10 protected for Utah. So we're going to have to explain this a lot throughout the next year unless the Pacers somehow trade this within the next day or two. But this is a pick that could be valuable. There's a lot going on here. So Ryan, this trade made a lot of sense to me for the Pacers um, it seems like Denver is really hungry to get in this draft and add some additional time. What were your thoughts on this trade?
3: Yeah. I Just like you said about the Nuggets, I think what they did last year, they obviously want a title. So they just want to replicate it with Christian Brown, an elite role player. They definitely want to go out there at least one of those guys, probably at least two of them. Now that they have three picks in that, I think 30 to 40 range, Um, but they took Peyton Watson also. So they probably want to swing for an upside guy also. That they can bank on long-term uh, so that really – the Nuggets are never actually bad or rebuilding or something like that. So they're always kind of playing the short and long-term game. Um, but I think on the on the surface level, maybe Pacers fans, I don't know how you see them, but it doesn't. no one wants to trade out of the draft in any pick. Whether you have five picks, eight picks, one pick, I get that. Um, but when you have five picks, like getting a first-round pick like you, like we were talking about, it could be a top 20, 25 pick, whatever it's going to be. Um, it's great value. And you guys are in a, a mode where you're not pushing to make the playoffs and win a title right now. So getting that draft value, not forcing yourself to devalue one of your five picks and just move to next year, I think is a, is a big win.
1: And another thing for the Pacers, too, is if they wanted to use that pick in a trade for a player, it could be enticing. You could you could say, we got our own 2024, we got this 2024, we got, you know, 2026. They got all their future picks, and then they can just add additional first. That does make it more enticing. Like, I don't think they're going to be in a situation like they, they traded for Boston's first-round pick this year and Cleveland's. Well, 26 and 29, that's okay value, but it's not where you really want to be at because you're talking about a guaranteed contract for two guys at the end of the first where those second-round picks at 32 are much more valuable. So I think that's why Denver won at 32 because it's a second-round pick. They can kind of control what that contract is. So Mm -hmm. that made a lot of sense to me. But the Pacers moving back just to 40, I think that's also pretty smart too because it allows them to now they have pick 26 and pick 40 and that future. That, to me, is better assets. Then 29 and 32 if you're trying to trade up in this draft potentially. So that's kind of how I see it, right? I don't know if you see it that same way, but that makes the most sense to me.
3: No, I kind of agree with you. And I think 40 is a good spot. It's kind of like the back end of like where a lot of that ticket's bottom tier first round value will still be there. But if you're in the 45, 50 range, like you start to really diminish that and not see that opportunity. But teams like the Nuggets will definitely take instant impact guys and Boston's in there. And I think even Sacramento's in that mix and they might take an instant impact player. Um, so where a lot of those upside guys that you guys might want to take or someone might drop that's just plain good value. So I, I'm I'm with, I'm gonna agree with you.
1: And you never know somebody might want that pick and you can sell that pick for future seconds and get more assets for further down the road if you feel like yeah. your roster is too full. I mean the Pacers have 12 guys on their roster. You can only have 15 guys plus your three two way spots now. So honestly, like whoever they get at 40 is probably gonna be put on a two way contract. And I think that they probably walk away with a pick. Uh, Pick seven, obviously, I think they're going to keep that pick. I think they're going to make that pick. A lot of people have speculated they could trade out of it. I don't buy it. I think they're listening, but nothing has been glamorous, (laughs) if that makes sense. And then 26, I do feel like there's kind of a a good chance someone could fall there. Um, Is there somebody in mind that you maybe like at 26 for the Pacers?
3: It's tough because I think you're playing the value game. I think teams like you guys and the Nets, especially in the Hornets and Utah, all in that range in the 20s, it's kind of like, well, we kind of just got to see who we fall. Like the, the 25 green room guys, the the guys that get invited to the green room, um, are supposed to be the top 25 consensus guys from NBA teams. One of them is, if not three or four of them will be there at 26, right? Like guys mm-hmm. like Ryan Repair. I don't think Chris Murray is going to be there. Maybe Noah Clowney is there. Uh, I think Derek Whitehead wasn't the green room guy, but he might be there. And Gigi Jackson. Uh, those are some guys that I'm like, all right, well, you those, those are your clear value guys. Colby Jones is another one that like you – will definitely be there at least two or three of them, I think, at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on what you took at seven, likely a forward like we talk about with Taylor Hendricks, Jairus Walker, if you guys stay there. Um, or maybe it's Cam or it's a forward or a wing most likely, right? Uh, so I, I think you just kind of take best available and you go from there because guys are going to drop, like you said. Value is going to be there. There's a solid top 40, 45 prospects in the class that you could probably argue could all have first round
1: consideration. So you're going to have your pick of the litter there absolutely and then just because we haven't really talked about pick 40 at all um because we haven't had it until today <laughs> players in that range that you like for the pacers
3: yeah it's the same thing with like we we're talking before about like guys are going to drop and that's where the bottom of that first round talent's going to be i think i mocked you guys with city sissoko on my last one i mm-hmm. think maybe marcus sasser could be there maybe julian strother's there if you want to go upside you can go julian phillips uh i know it's a smith will probably be on the board there so those are a few guys that i think in that range kind of makes sense and you really have a wide variety of like, do you want to swing big uh, on a guy that's raw? Even like James Naji if he's there, right? A long-term big option behind Miles Turner, maybe in the years to come. Um, or you take one of the instant impact guys, like I said, with Marcus Sasser, who you're like, you know what? Can't deny that. We did with Andrew Nembhard last year. It worked. Let's do it again. So.
1: And that's where I can see Julian Strother fitting in because Gonzaga prospect, uh, the Pacers run a lot of the Gonzaga sets. And that's what Tommy Lloyd runs at Arizona and Mark Few runs at Gonzaga. So there's familiarity there with getting a prospect that can do that and i think julian strider can shoot the lights out i think he's pretty underrated uh based on where we've been seeing him in consensus i think he's been mostly in that 40 to 45 range uh, even i've seen some with him at the lakers at like 47 so this is a guy that i think makes a lot of sense for uh an early second round pick but ryan i know i told you i wouldn't keep you super long obviously <laughs> you know we're still waiting to see what else could happen there's so much up in the air but before we get into this uh, draft, I'm just curious. Predictions for the Pacers at seven. Who do you think they go with?
3: I think Jarrett is off the board. I just have this weird inkling he goes at five, and Detroit goes that bad boy style again, physicality like they have in the past. Um, and like they kind of are now with their front court. But I- I'll go with Taylor Hendricks. Like, it's pretty, it's the easy option, I think. And there's it's an undeniable fit. It's an undeniable upside. It's a great pick for Everything is perfect. Positional fit, value, best available. He is the perfect player there. So if I'm a betting man, um, which at times I can be, I would go with Taylor Hendricks there.
1: All right. Well, that's a great transition because we have Taylor Hendricks himself joining us next on the next segment for a good five minutes with Michael Focci. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. and We'll be back with Taylor Hendricks forward from UCF.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen,
4: we are now joined by one of the most fascinating prospects in the 2023 NBA draft. It's Taylor Hendricks. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. So, Taylor, I know you've probably had quite a few workouts, and I'm sure that you're a a bit excited to be done with the NBA draft tomorrow. But one of the teams you did work out for was the Indiana Pacers. Can you give a little bit of insight in how that workout went?
2: Uh, I feel like that workout went really well. You know, um, uh, Rick Carlisle is the one who worked me out. And, like, just for him to, like, be there and being hands-on on me, uh, it really meant a lot. I mean,
4: Taylor, you have Pacer Nation just, they are lined up saying we need Taylor Hendricks. And one of the things that I love is the three-point shot uh, shot that you bring to the table. I mean, shooting about 40% from the field last year at UCF and the rim protection. But what trait do you feel that you could bring to the Pacers from day one?
2: Uh, I definitely feel like my, like you said, like my rim protection, my three-point shooting, like, you know, uh, Miles Turner is is pretty good at that as well, being able to stretch the floor and block shots and being a good defender. So I feel like me and him, like side by side or like, you know, us on the floor together would be pretty dangerous, pretty dangerous lineup.
4: I love that. But, you know, we also have Tyrese Halliburton, one of the most gifted point guards in this league. What would it mean to be catching passes from a guy that was leading the league in assists at one point last year?
2: I mean that that would be crazy because we know how good of a point guard he is, and we we already know how good he's going to be. So, you know, just to be a part of that, and you know, um, you know, uh, help the team win games along with him and Miles Turner and all the other guys, it would be pre- a pretty cool thing.
4: Now, this Pacers team, they didn't struggle to score last year, but they do need a lot of improvement on defensive end. What do you feel that you could bring in? I know you mentioned rim protection, but you know, is there certain defensive characteristics that you feel that you excel at, you know, that you could bring from day one?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, just my, my switchability, you know, uh, my versatility defensively, me being able to, you know, switch on to uh, different positions and guard different positions and, you know, be effective in that or even be like a rover on defense, like someone who, you know, comes over to block shots and things like that. I feel like it could be, um, you know, something that, that could translate really well and help the team.
4: From watching a lot of film on you, I noticed that you like to get out there and run, you know, push the pace. The Pacers were fifth in pace last year. Do you feel that this style fits your game?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, I like to get out on transition and, um, you know, dunk the ball. So, and uh, I'm pretty athletic, so I can get up and down the floor pretty fast. So I feel like i would definitely be able to help the, the Pacers with that.
4: Since we last saw you at UCF, what do you feel that you've improved uh, in your game the most?
2: I feel like I've definitely improved my feel for the game, my ball handling, you know, just uh, just working on my skills every day and um, day in, day out, you know, you have no choice but to get better at those things. So, yeah, I would say that so far.
4: And, you know, you talked about Coach Carlisle a little bit before, but what would it mean to play for an NBA champion and eventual Hall of Fame coach in Rick Carlisle?
2: I mean, it would be a blessing, like, you know, just start off with that, um, you know, so early in my career it could definitely help my development in the league and, I actually remember Rick Carlisle because I was an NBA Heat fan. So I Ooh. remember him when he used to coach the Dallas Mavericks. So <laughs> it would be pretty crazy if, hey. I, if I, you know, play under him.
4: He he did take the Heat out in the NBA Finals. So I'm yes, sure at that did. point, look, if he can lead a team, you know, to beat LeBron, Wade, Bosh in the NBA Finals, you got to feel like you're in good hands, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he's a, like you said, Hall of Fame coach, great coach. So if I were to play under him, you know, I'll I'll be blessed for sure.
4: Is there a part of your game that maybe you didn't get to showcase as much at UCF that maybe we're sleeping on a little bit that you think that you'll get to show, you know, as your career goes on in the NBA?
2: I would definitely say my playmaking ability, you know, me uh, being able to, you know, pass the ball to my teammates and, you know, create create plays really, you know. I feel like I'm really good at that. And I didn't get to show that too much at UCF. You know, I feel like I had a little bit of flashes of it, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a better playmaker than people think.
4: You know, the Pacers have not won an NBA title. I mean, hey, quite a bit of success back in the day in the ABA. But what would it mean to you to be able to bring the first championship to Indiana, say they are, to select you in this draft?
2: I mean, that, that would be amazing, you know. Like, that that's one way to leave your legacy. And that's, that, that's what I'm about, like, just leaving a legacy, like, making sure people know that you, you came through an area. So, you know, if I were to bring a championship to Indiana, I mean, that, that, that would be crazy, like, you know, g- g- great for the organization, great for the city. So that's definitely one of my goals if I if I go there.
4: Truly how you can cement a legacy. Taylor, I, I can't stress it enough. Pacer Nation desperately wants you in Indiana. I hope it works out tomorrow. But regardless of wherever you end up, I want to wish you the best of luck and a-, a great, lengthy, and healthy career in the NBA.
2: Thank you.
1: All right, everybody joining us now on setting the pace from Draft Dummies. Is it is Sam Ferris. Sam, how's it going? Doing really well. Can't complain. I'm just ready
5: for the draft to start. So almost <laughs> here. It's it's been a long time coming, and I'm very much ready to see how it unfolds.
1: Absolutely, man. No, it's it's one of those things where I'm just tired of hearing all these different hypotheticals, all the smoke screen. It's like let's just get to the shebang and see what's going to happen. So. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about one interesting prospect that's been all over the place, and that is Cam Whitmore. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently, we've been seeing him slide down on mock drafts, but before that, we said we were hearing, oh, he could go number four to Houston. So are you are you buying the, uh, the truth in that he's actually sliding down, or do you think there's some smoke there?
5: I think there's a little bit of smoke there. I mean, The thing I'll say is, I would take at this point, especially so close to the draft, almost everything with a grain of salt that's leaked out. And the thing you got to ask yourself is step back and say, you know, who is benefiting from putting this information out? Because at this point, it's a lot of posturing, a lot of uh, trying to kind of teams reading the tea leaves, but also trying to manipulate other teams if possible to have certain guys fall. And so it's just a lot of that posturing at this point in time. So I really take everything, especially this close to the draft, with a little bit of a grain of salt. And like as recently as this week, there were reports that Cam Whitmore was very much in play with Houston at 4. And so I would be surprised if he really drops all the way down to like Utah at 9, like there have been some reports stating. And if he does, um, then someone like Utah, Utah at number nine is going to get going to get a really good prospect because I really like Cam Whitmore. He's the number three prospect on my board.
1: That's really interesting because I was going to ask you about Whitmore's game, and you know, you say you have number three. What do you like about his game so much?
5: He's an athletic force at like six foot seven, but I just really enjoy that he plays with physicality because you see a lot of guys that have good frames but don't really actually utilize that in an actual basketball way on the court so he plays with force and with physicality and he gets his chin on the rim so quickly like if he gets a step by his guy whether it's on his own or attacking a closeout he's very fast for his size but also a very good leaper so that combination of you know burst leaping ability and strength for a guy his age is very impressive. And so when I say his age, he's one of the youngest prospects in the class and he's like a year and a half older, or a year and a half younger than guys like Brandon Miller and the Thompson twins.
1: Yeah, he's he's an interesting prospect because I remember at the beginning of the draft uh, process, right after the 2022 draft, you know, he was always in that top five range. And then he had that injury that kind of held him back a little bit. He wasn't able to play right away. Um, the coaching change I think also could have been part of uh, what took some of his stock down I guess you could say Mm -hmm. uh, Villanova but I I do think that overall he's a very good prospect and I wonder about his fit with a team like Indiana I don't love it but I do think that with a lot of other teams he could be a slam dunk pick and I think there's real all-star potential in his game
5: yeah and to be clear I I have Wimbanyama obviously in a tier by himself, and then I have Scoot as the clear number two, and then I have Cam at number three, but really, to me, there's not a huge difference from like three through eight, and I understand fit for different teams, and I understand different opinions that people have. Like to me, there's not a big difference there, uh, even more so compared to most drafts, so like though i have cam at three he's not a guy that i'd like use assets to trade up for in fact my strategy if i were picking three four five in this class um unless scoot dropped to three then i'd be trying to trade down to like the eight nine ten spot
1: because i just don't see much of a difference in that range of players all right well that kind of brings us to my next question then because um, you know, the top four, from what we've been hearing, it seems pretty consensus now. The The order is still up in the air, but Wimbenyama, Scoot, Brandon Miller, and Amin Thompson seems to be the top four based on everything we're hearing. Um, do you feel like that's the top four more than likely going into the draft? And with Detroit being there at five, they've been recently in rumors about potentially trading back, and that's something you just kind of hinted at would be smart to do. Uh, once again, do you think that's a good move for Detroit to move back from five, uh, potentially to Utah, a team that's got both nine and 16 available that if they're looking to move up? And uh, yeah, just talk to me a little bit about the top four. That seems consensus if you agree with that and then what Detroit should do.
5: So I do think that will be how the top four unfolds. Um, the only one that would be questionable is if Amin Thompson goes for. I mean, there's still a little bit of a range with him on mock drafts. Like you'll see him fall down to six or seven on, on some different mocks. But again, it seems like, and I think kind of the pivot point with the Rockets is, a lot of people thought that maybe Cam Whitmore would be a good fit if Harden were to go back to Houston. But now it seems like the the rumors are that Harden's likely to go back to Philly. And if that's the case, then maybe Amin Thompson does make more sense in Houston. And there were reports that he worked out for Houston and looked fantastic, which makes sense because he is one of the elite athletes I've ever scouted. Um, and so I do think that's likely to be the top four. And like I said, if I were Detroit at five, I would be looking to trade down in the lottery. Again, like, I know this is easier said than done. This doesn't often work easily in reality, but to me, the best value range, if I'm not picking one of the top two guys, is just to drop down to like 10 or 11 and pick whichever guy from my my tier that I have, whichever guy happens to fall down
1: to me at like 9, 10, 11. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... In terms of best fit for Detroit, this one, there's a lot of different cases you can make, I think, for this team right here because they're in a good spot. They've got a lot of nice young talent. People, I've heard them say that their front court's loaded, but I'm not really sure how loaded it is because they did take some flyers on James Wiseman and on a guy like Marvin Bagley III a couple of years ago at the trade deadline. So I think the only long-term piece I see with that team right now is Jalen Dern um, but I I mean you can make the case for Wiseman as potential guy there, but I mean I'm just saying I, that that's I mean they got him for a pretty fair price. They have to give up too much to get him. So uh what do you think the ideal fit in Detroit is? So I'm very much a Jalen Duran guy and very much
5: not a James Wiseman uh guy in terms of their evaluation both coming into the draft and even more so now. Um and they've kind of got a logjam of bigs, but Jalen Duren is the guy that I would feature and kind of build around as my big, and then of course Cade coming back from injury and Jaden Ivy in the backcourt. That's kind of your backcourt for the future. So I don't, I don't think they need to take a guard, and I don't think they need to take a center. So you're looking at like a three or a four would be the best fit. And I, and so I would say like Cam Whitmore would be a good yeah. fit. I know we just talked about him, but You know, I I don't love his fit as much in Indiana, like you hinted at, but I do like his fit much better in Detroit because the one, you know, question mark you would point to with Cam Whitmore is his feel for the game, his passing ability. He, you know, posted a very low assist percentage and that's indicative of, you know, maybe his feel being a bit behind. and, And I just don't project him to be a very good passer. But I I think that's fine playing next to guys like Cade and Ivy who are going to take the lion's share of the usage anyway. and, And they can use his athleticism as a cutter and attacking closeouts where the advantages are already created by Cade and Ivy. So to me, I like that fit. And then the one other guy that I really like, and I'm not sure whether he would quite go this high, but Taylor Hendricks to me, would be another
1: really good fit in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I actually really do think that you can make a, a really good case for Taylor Hendricks with Detroit, and that would make more sense for them to trade down yep. if they think he could be there at nine and pick up another asset in the future for that. So that, to me, that that's very interesting. And I think, you know, Jairus Walker's also been a name linked to Detroit. Um, what do you think about his fit there with them? So uh, when we look at jairus walker i think
5: pretty much everyone compares jairus walker and taylor hendricks and i've been one of those people and it makes sense it's easy comparison they're both probably primarily going to be playing the four in the nba and i just prefer taylor hendricks because of his fit not specifically with any team but just his fit in the modern nba because I like his ability to be a secondary rim protector. And I think he also is going to move his feet well on the perimeter defensively as well. So you get some scheme versatility defensively, but it's rare to find that combined with a guy that can really shoot it from three. And so I think that kind of scheme versatility plus the floor spacing offensively makes him an easy, portable fit with any team where you don't really need to build around his uniqueness because he fits in so easily around other players. And so that's kind of one of the unique or intriguing aspects about his game.
1: Yeah, he's he's a fascinating one. I know there's a lot of Pacer fans excited about his potential here in Indiana. But before we get to Indiana, I want to stop at Orlando, who has a sixth overall pick and the 11th overall pick. A lot of questions about what they could do with both those picks. Could they consolidate both to try to move up? Uh, Do they try to trade out of 11? Maybe try to push that asset further down the road with, you know, picks in 24, 25, whatever that might be. So what do you think Orlando should do with their picks? I mean, if there's a way they can trade up and get Scoot,
5: which seems very unlikely at this point, like I would do that. If they can consolidate those picks and get like, a good young player to pair with their core i would think about doing that too but again like i i like the 11 spot i think that's a good value range and so like if you can't find any good trade partner that you love then adding two more lottery picks um to this young core makes a lot of sense too so i think they've got a lot of optionality a lot of different ways they can go and i'm sure they're assessing their trade market but at this point in time it it feels most likely that they make those picks, I think.
1: And I, and I think they could get really good value there. There's uh, you know, There's been some speculation on who they could take at six. It's kind of been all over the place, and I think it might be who falls to them and who they like. Uh, today, I saw that Anthony Black could be a possibility at six. I've also seen Taylor Hendricks from Times uh, mocked to them there. But one recently that seems to make a lot of sense is Asar Thompson. He's a,
4: mm-hmm. a
1: guy that had a workout schedule for the Pacers last Friday and the team announced it on Twitter and social media and he ended up canceling it about an hour later. <laughs> so it felt like, what's the reasoning behind this? Because it wouldn't make yeah. sense to cancel it unless, you know, he had gotten a promise maybe up in the top six. So do you think that Asar Thompson is the probably the most likely fit for Orlando at six?
5: Yeah, I mean, I will add like, sometimes they will cancel because of a promise but also there there are certain circumstances and where you know um a prospect and his group around him want to get him to a certain destination or not or kind of steer him away from certain destinations like i I remember tyrese halliburton falling to the kings like I, i think they wanted him to end up there and that's kind of one example that i point to but There can be other reasons, like who knows, maybe he was just sick that day. Like I think people rush to assume that there was a promise, and maybe you know his group even did that to to act like he got a promise. Right? There's a lot of different things that can go on behind the scenes, but I I would like his fit in Indiana as just an athletic wing, and to me, if he hits kind of like a good outcome for him, then he can be your defensive ace on the wing that can guard the best perimeter player on the other team. And I think that's something that Indiana might not have right now in their core. And so that fit alongside Halliburton. And then I'll also add that Halliburton obviously is an extremely high field player, but they don't have a ton of other passing or just like high-feel, high-IQ players on the team right now, I would say. Matherin, to me, isn't really that guy. He's more of a a score, a free throw, a foul drawer, and Buddy Heald isn't that guy. And so like adding a little bit of feel um, to add to Tyrese Halliburton plus a defensive ace on the wing makes a lot of sense from a
1: fit point. Yeah, I'll be honest with you here as an Indiana Pacer fan. He's probably the most intriguing prospect to me Mm -hmm. um, at number seven. For me personally, we've talked about the four, uh, Whitmore, Walker, uh, Hendricks, and Asar Thompson. When it comes to those four guys, I've always been Asar and then Taylor Hendricks, then Jairus Walker, and then Cam Whitmore for terms of fit for the Pacers. I actually think Anthony Black fits in better with what the Pacers need than what Cam Whitmore you know, how he fits, but mm-hmm. I still think he's a better overall talent than Anthony Black for me personally. But yeah, that's, that's a tough place to be in. So is the Star tops in your favorite fit for the Pacers or do you like one of the power forwards a little bit better? Um, I would
5: say Taylor Hendricks for yeah. me, just because I have him a couple spots above him on my board. And so that's a, enough of a difference where I, I think I'm just taking him. And I think the fit Make sense for both of them. Like you could make an equally good case for either. And I think, that, you know, the three and the four are spots that Indiana could use help filling long term. um So, I, I mean, I, I'd listen to a good pitch for either of them. I, I don't see either of them being a particularly bad fit at all. But again, I just have Hendricks three spots above Asar on my board. And to me, that's enough to be a tiebreaker
1: where I lean Hendricks in, in that spot. And then that makes total sense. So um, I'm curious, where do you have Hendrix and where do you have Asar on your board number wise? Uh, number six and number nine. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Hendrix is right there in that Pacers range. So that does make a lot of sense. So um, we've, we've been hearing the Pacers name attached a lot to trading pick seven, maybe trading out. Uh, there's mm-hmm. been speculation all off season, really, since the trade deadline that OG and Anobi could be a target of theirs. We saw recently, I think Jake Fisher put it out that DeAndre... Uh, Hunter was someone they had interest in. Tobias Harris was another name, potentially. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. What do you think the Pacers do at seven? Do you think they keep their pick, or do you think there's a good chance they trade out of it?
5: Gosh, yeah. So it sounds like they're really looking for an experienced wing that can step in, kind of guard, like I was talking about. You know, that's, that's you know, OG is kind of not the exact player, but that player type is what you hope a SAR can be. You know three four years from now mm-hmm. and so I, I think they're wanting to improve more right away to build around Halliburton and so that wing um makes a lot of sense especially if he's ready to come in contribute right away and take some of that defensive responsibility that they've been missing um so that would make sense and I, I've heard others that follow the Pacers think that that is something that they prefer to do internally But I'm always excited if a team, you know, drafts a player. I I always think picking a new player is kind of always a little bit of just hope for the future because it's kind of a mystery box at this point in time. So you can hope for for anything with them. And and I enjoy that part of it. Um, But again, like both those guys we mentioned are good fits. But I think if I had to predict, I think that they would prefer to acquire kind of that, not veteran, but... You know, a younger veteran wing that's ready to come in and help them, but also be a part of the long term future.
1: Yeah, and and I and I can kind of see that. I think it all depends. Like I, I would not trade seven for Tobias Harris's expiring contract. Oh, no. no way. Yeah. Uh, or Dorian Finney-Smith. Even though I like him as a player, I don't think I would trade seven for him at this point. No. Um, I think his value is low. I mean, DeAndre Hunter's got four years left. It does make some sense. Maybe you can get fifteen back from Atlanta in a deal like that. Um, OG's, uh, obviously an upgrade, but he's only got one year left before he has a player option. So that's the only thing that I fear about as a Pacer fan, you know, I, I personally just feel like the Pacers are never in the lottery this high, so they should really take advantage of it while they are and look to add those pieces other, other ways in my personal opinion, because seeing them pick at six last year was something we hadn't seen since like 89 or something like that so Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where they're this is unfamiliar territory for them and i i think they should just continue to invest in that but um, to be clear they should not trade the pick for dfs or for
5: tobias harris
1: (laughs) yeah i was like okay like i I get deandre hunter he's pretty young you know he's on that second contract you know the one his rookie extension whatever so that to me makes sense but yeah it's it's tough now Let's move on a little bit because there's a player that's been getting a lot of hype, and I'm curious if you're buying it or not. Balak <laughs> Uh it, We've seen some people say he could go to the Utah Jazz at 9. Uh, I heard today on the radio that that was uh, from Rafael Barlow, I think, that a, an agent told him could even be higher than 9. It uh, just seems like a lot of smoke around Bilal Koulibaly, but it could be real too. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on him? Are you buying the hype?
5: Um, I, I'm not buying the hype in that I wouldn't draft him in the top 10 personally. Um, I have him like 17th on my personal board. And that's just out of, you know, skepticism for me, just because, you know, he, he barely started playing with the senior team in France alongside Wim Banyama uh, during last season. And like he did have some good playoff moments, but I, I just want to see a little bit more. And I'm also concerned with the jumper where you know he, made, he shot the catch and shoot three okay, I think like 33% or so, just quoting that off the top of my head, but not a lot of versatility to his jumper. Like he does not take pull-ups. He does not create any offense. To me, he's like a three and D guy. Now the physical tools at six foot eight with a seven two wingspan and a very good functional athlete are very exciting, but I just need to see a little bit more productivity to get that high where I'm taking him top 10. Now, the team that we've heard him most associated with is a promise from OKC at 12. And that's something that's been kind of the rumor, the smoke for like a couple of weeks now. So that one, it's been out there so long, I, I kind of buy that and it makes sense just from a historical draft perspective for OKC. And so I could see that. I personally would be surprised like, the earliest, earliest I could see him going would be Utah at number nine. If he went higher than that, that would just
1: be a little too strong for my taste. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, I this is a guy that for the longest time was a late first round pick. So yeah. for him to jump out as much as he has, like, good for him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's definitely a lot of potential there, but it just seems kind of like, man, this is a, a lot of momentum swinging him all the way up here then it doesn't feel authentic. It almost feels like, okay, how are we? Yeah. Maybe the Wimbenyama stuff has really helped, like, helped him because they're on the same team. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that has much of anything to do with it. But yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting prospect. I do think that if you know he pans out the way people are talking about, I'm like, yeah, this guy could be a, a really good pro for a long time. But yeah, like you said, we're going to have to see. So another person in the range that you said you really like, that 9 to 11 range, is a guy by the name of Grady Dick. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to people that are just kind of casual fans or maybe haven't watched a lot of him, they just kind of label him as just a shooter, right? A guy that's, you know, just a white guy that can shoot the ball, you know? And I feel like there's a lot more to Grady Dick's game than people are giving him credit for. And I think that he could be a really valuable player in the league. Talk to me a little bit more about Grady Dick and his overall value and what he'll bring to the NBA.
5: Yeah, the appeal with Grady Dick is that every team needs a shooter, but with him, he does the shooter things well, but he also does things that players of that archetype don 't usually do quite as well as he does so what I mean by that is like he's got good size at like a little bit over six foot seven in shoes, and like he he's not going to be a huge plus defensively in fact, on the ball i'd say he might be a slight negative at the next level, but i'd say as a team defender he will be like a neutral, if not even maybe like a slight positive if things go really right for him. And then offensively, he does a little bit more as like a connector in that he makes very quick, smart decisions. He's not going to shoot the first time he touches the ball. He's not going to hold the ball either. And so he's kind of a guy that like, on top of the shooting, he helps grease your offense. He helps things run smoothly. And then defensively, he's better than just your average shooter that you might think of, whoever that is. Like a lot of people think white shooter, Doug McDermott, like he, he's better defensively than that archetype. And so that's just intriguing because every team needs shooting. But oftentimes at the end of games in the regular season or playoffs, those guys get played off the floor. And the hope is, you know, I'm not a 100% sold on this because the NBA is very difficult, but he's got a better chance to stay on the floor because of those ancillary
1: skills compared to your average, you know, shooting specialist. Yeah, I'm, I actually think he'd be a really nice fit for a lot of teams. I know that there's been a lot of uh, talk about him in Orlando, which I like that fit there. Um, the Pacers worked him out. I don't think at seven, that's the right place to pick him. But if for somehow the Pacers got back in that 10, 11, 12 range and he's there, I think that'd be a perfect second pick to add to this young core because he does so many things well, but uh, yeah, let's, let's keep it moving here. What veteran college players are you intrigued by the most that can help teams right away? So we're not counting sophomores here. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. uh, More
5: junior seniors. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So this class is not particularly top heavy in terms of like good juniors or seniors. Like last year, Ochai Baji went pretty high. And I was particularly high on Christian Brown, which is looking very good now. And of course, Jalen Williams in OKC. This year, like, I think the highest junior or senior I have ranked is like 25th. And I have um, Marcus Sasser and Jaime Hawkes back-to-back, like 25, 26. I like both of those guys. Like, neither of them is like a sure... Uh, or likely even to be a starter long-term, but I think both of them can come in and contribute either if not their first season, you know, by their second season. And they're both winning players that I think coaches will enjoy having on their team and can actually contribute to winning because they proved in college that they're actually good basketball players. But again, I, I don't think there's anyone that I have that's like, threatening the lottery or like a top 15 talent in this class i think there's a number of good upperclassmen that i'd be happy to take early in the second round but i, I will say it's a little bit weaker in terms of the college vets in this class
1: yeah uh we've been seeing uh jaime haka's rise quite a bit recently uh marcus yep. sasser i think he's still kind of in that early second round range but i do i do agree he's going to be good i mean Uh, One guy I'm personally a a fan of is Trace Jackson Davis. I was curious Mm -hmm. your thoughts on him because I do think that his role is going to be a backup big, whether it's a four or five. He's kind of an in-betweener kind of guy, but I think he really showed a lot of improvement with his time in Indiana that I feel like he's going to be able to figure things out in the NBA and, and carve out a role for himself.
5: Yeah. That, so I wrote Sasser and Hawkes, and then after that, the next group would be Trace Jackson Davis and Chris Murray. Uh-huh. So yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think he's a little bit more fit dependent because to me he's like he's a center, but he's a bit undersized and he he can't really shoot at all right now. But even though he lacks, you know, those aspects of his game, the strengths of his game are like very positive strengths where he's got good feel he's a good passer um for especially for a center and so you can see him maybe offensively being like on the second unit and being a little bit of like a dho hub where you know he can uh do a little bit of that, a dribble handoff and then the fake dho and he gets downhill and he's dunking on people mm-hmm. obviously a very very good athlete as well and blocked a lot of shots in college and a solid positional defender you're just going to need to find spacing around him at a lot of other positions. And so that that's just difficult. Um, it's difficult to play a center that is a little bit undersized, but also doesn't shoot just because that you know creates constraints on the rest of your lineup construction. But if you have that in place, um, then I think that he could be a very good player. And I actually... I actually could see him sneaking in to the end of the first round, depending on a couple of those teams that are looking for a contributor right away
1: yeah i I agree with you there i I feel like he's a fringe first round pick this year um right there I mean early second late first he's a he's a very fascinating player and I mean you know some people are a little bit fooled by a three point shot because he you know shot okay on some on um, some workout videos. And yeah. he really didn't take any. I'm like, well, <laughs> you can't trust those videos because uh if you are, his uh, his team's doing a great job convincing you that he's a more polished shooter than he actually is. I mean, we're gonna yeah. have to actually see it in real games. But um let, let's talk about some of these teams that have multiple first round picks. You know, I think it's one of those things where we've seen a lot of teams trade out of this draft to make pick or to make trades, but they could be looking to trade back into it with the new CBA. Uh, you know, a handful of teams like Cleveland, Boston. I don't think Phoenix has their pick. I don't even know if they have anything to trade again in this draft, yeah. but there's, uh, you know, Chicago. They don't have their pick either. There's there's a handful of teams that don't. What do you think those teams are doing? you think there's a chance they try to trade some assets maybe to get into the back into the first round? Yeah, the thing I keep coming to, because
5: like every year we get our hopes up and we're like, this is the year where there's going to be a lot of trades on draft night and it never really quite materializes like that but the thing i hang on to this year is that like so few teams have been hoarding draft picks whether it's okc houston utah's acquired some of them like san antonio um i'm probably forgetting a few others but they have just hoarded so many draft picks over the next couple years that those teams are not going to make all of those picks, right? They've got to make consolidation trades at some point. And so there just has to, by product of that, be some type of movement and consolidation trade. So I, I'm really expecting that to happen. And you, you kind of have the first domino on draft night, which is obviously who goes second between Miller and Scoop. But then does number three get traded? Because... That whole Dame Lillard thing is really a big pivot point, I think, for the whole NBA. Does, Do they really try the two timeline thing and keep those guys? That's just hard for me to imagine. Or do they trade that pick for a vet and try to build around Dame? So I think those are kind of a few of the pivot points that we got to watch out for. And I know we say it every year and we're always excited, but I really do think there's a chance that there's going to be some real activity on draft night
1: especially with the new CBA coming into place. So I think that's going to really make teams more aggressive this year. And we've heard from multiple people uh, that cover the league. I've heard from different presidents and, and GMs, and I've heard them in you know postseason press conferences kind of talk about they think the trade market will be busy. So let's look at the teams that, you know, like Miami, L.A., mm-hmm. Golden State, they're in that 17 to 19 range. What are the odds of them maybe wanting to say, hey, we're – at 17 where the Lakers were at 17 well Indiana you got 26 and 29 we'll you know we'll move back and get 26 and 29 for 17 do you think there's any possible scenarios where that kind of a deal makes sense so from my perspective yes because
5: again like we hit on on the question before like to me that's a little too early to be taking guys like a Chris Murray or a Hawkes. like to me those guys like taking them at 18 17 that's a little too rich for me like the value is much better in like late first for those guys. And I think there's still going to be like solid upside plays at the 17 through 19 range that other teams, like you mentioned, uh, would maybe have more appetite for taking on. Whereas a team like Golden State, I I could see them trading down potentially and and taking like a Hawkes or a Chris Murray. And so I think that does make sense from my perspective, and we'll see whether that is something that's actually
1: carried out on draft night. Absolutely. So as we continue on with this, I'm curious your thoughts on some of the sleepers in this class. Um, anybody you think has a bigger impact than their pre-draft ranking might suggest? So
5: the guy that I'm probably the highest on versus, like, consensus where you'll see them in mock drafts is Casein Wallace.
2: mm I have
5: have him fifth on my board. Um, There are concerns, and I don't know quite the extent, but he he had back issues towards the end of his season at Kentucky, back spasms, and there have been rumors that that has been a little bit of an issue. I don't really know the extent to that. So, you know, if it comes out that his back issues are worse, then obviously I wouldn't have him at number five. But excluding injury concerns, which I don't believe are too serious, like, I love his game. Um, when you actually look at the closest statistical comparison to what he did last year, it was Drew Holiday's season at UCLA. And when you watch Casey Wallace, you can't help but see shades of, of Drew Holiday. And I also will point to look at the recent history of Kentucky guards in the NBA. They consistently outperform what they did in college. And I, I don't think he's going to be an exception to that. I think. You're going to see offensively that there was a little bit more to his game than he was kind of allowed to show in his role at
1: Kentucky. hes I've gone back and forth between him and Anthony Black um, for who I like as my second favorite point guard in this draft. Um, I ended up settling with Anthony Black just a little (laughs) bit ahead of him, but, I mean, it's very close. I really believe in Cason Wallace as a player. Um, I kind of like him more than a in Thompson. I know that might not be what consensus is, but uh yeah. I just feel like there's a lot more to like about his game. So um I'm curious, you know, Anthony Black is getting mm-hmm. a lot of love as we approach a draft. Utah and Washington really seem to covet him. Um how good is Anthony Black and how high do you think we see him get drafted? So we transition from a guy I'm
5: very high on compared to consensus, and then Anthony Black, I'm lower on versus where you see him go in mock drafts. And and the reason is one of my main tenets that I've picked up as an evaluator is, especially as a perimeter player, especially as a guard, like if you can't shoot, then you can't really play in the modern NBA. And I'm not saying he's not gonna be an NBA player because he's big for a guard, he has good feel, he draws a lot of fouls, like he does a lot of things well, but, I don't think he's got enough um, juice, I guess I would say on the ball to be like good enough that the jump shot doesn't matter for him. I think his handle is just like above average. I think his finishing craft is just above average, but the jumper is the thing that's really holding me back where it's not just the percentages, but I think his form is not great. It's like a pretty low release from like his chest and it takes a little bit of time to get off as well. And he's also not confident in in his shot. Like if he misses one, he's going to pass up the next few. And and just the volume he gets up is not great. And one of the main indicators on top of whether the shot goes in is how much does he believe in his own shot. And and to me, I I don't think he really does. Um, And so that to me is just a concern. And so I I don't see him as much as like, I think he's going to get a chance if he goes you know, top eight to be an on-ball point guard. But from my evaluation perspective, I see him more along the lines of like a mix between Derek White and Lonzo Ball, Mm -hmm. where he's more of like a combo guard. And his offense isn't good enough that he's going to be your primary ball handler, but he's also not a reliable spot-up shooter. The thing is, though, that Lonzo Ball did end up becoming a good spot-up shooter, and Derek White has improved there as well, and so, like, to me, I think there's, like, a decent chance he ends up becoming, like, just a good bench guard, and, like, that's not the end of the world, but obviously that's not what I'm looking for at that point in time, so I like so much about his game, but I, I really do come back to not just the shooting, but apart from the foul drawing, like, I like his floater, but... Like, how is he going to
1: score consistently in the half court? Mm-hmm. No, and then those are all fair points. And I've seen some pro comparisons to Josh Giddey. Do you see the same comparison there with him? Or do you think that's a different tier than the guys you mentioned?
5: No, I, I just can't get there with that comparison because I think Josh Giddy is a little bit bigger. But the main thing is that Josh Giddy is like a ridiculous passer. Like, he's on the level of, like, a Tyrese Halliburton. And I, I've tweeted this out before that I've heard comps to Giddy and even, like, Halliburton passing-wise for a guy like Anthony Black. And I can't get there with Black because those two guys are, like, they're, like, phenom passes. They're elite passers that only come around once every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And while Giddy's got other holes to his game, to me, Anthony Black's feel it is definitely good. But it's not at the genius level that a guy like Giddy or a guy like, um, Halliburton is at. And no. on top of that, even with the passing and the size, there's still issues constructing a roster around Giddy because of his lack of defense and his lack of shooting. And so, like, that kind of adds to my point where, like, <laughs> Giddy is a, a little bit better of a similar prospect than Black but there's still difficulties constructing
1: lineups around a player like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good good role player but not a not a guy that can kind of be the Yeah, base and, and the
5: look team. like if the shot does come around then absolutely he can return top 8 value. A lot of the draft and evaluation is just the evaluator's perspective and you have to evaluate different potential outcomes along a continuum for certain player and it's kind of like a weighted average of different outcomes that they hit and so my evaluation is I'm a little bit lower on him but you know there's certainly the chance that he outperforms my expectation and the easiest way to do that is if the jumper just comes along more than I
1: expect. Absolutely so my last question here for you as we wrap this up and um, I, I told you when I when I messaged you all these questions you know Mm -hmm. I was looking at top three, uh, guys that you like or you believe in outside of the top three. Um, If there's somebody you've already talked about, then uh, maybe just say their name, but throw in somebody else for some love here. Uh, But Uh I'm just curious, anybody, uh, give me some guys you believe in outside of the top three.
5: So I'll run through quickly the the top three that I wrote down, but I've already mentioned all three of those guys. Cason Wallace, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Mm Hendricks would be the three guys that I would kind of like bet on outside the top three um yeah i think those would be my three guys um okay. but I'll, I'll throw a couple more in to kind of spread the love around like you mentioned so another guy i'm higher on than consensus um brandon podjemski out of santa clara uh, a 6-4 guard that you know played a year at illinois then a year at santa clara barely played at illinois and then just was a ridiculously good college player at Santa Clara his second year, huge improvements. And what's crazy about him is that as a six foot four, guard, he led the whole WCC in rebounding by like over a rebound a game, I think. So his feel for the game, his motor is outstanding. So I I think he can fit in as a role player in the NBA, but there is a, a chance of him hitting a higher end outcome where the shot creation, translates because like last year at Santa Clara, he was an elite shot creator for himself, getting to step backs, getting to the rim, and just an awesome college player, which I think is kind of funny because Jalen Williams came out of Santa Clara just last year. And for them, in my opinion, to have two top 20 prospects back-to-back is really intriguing. So I have um, Brandon Podjemski right actually behind Anthony Black at 17th on my board. And then I'll shout out one other guy is Jet Howard, who I think Jet Howard's archetype is just a really valuable one if he works out in the NBA because he's like six foot eight and can really shoot it, but not just shoot from catch and shoot. Like he can shoot off the move, he can shoot off of one or two dribbles, getting to pull ups for mid-range. And he's also got good feel. He's obviously the son of a coach and a solid passer. Um, he doesn't really rebound and the defensive intensity needs to improve. But I think at that size, like he's at least not going to be a guy, in my opinion, that's picked on at the next level. Again, like guys that are that big and have that good a feel tend to at least be at least average defenders. And so that's kind of the bet you're making with him. And, and so I've got him, you know, much higher than consensus. I've got him like at 13th. On my board, so those are those are two more guys that I'm kind of uh,
1: investing some stock in as we look at this draft. Your board definitely is not uh, aligning with consensus, and that's okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I would just flat out tell you I am not the biggest Jed Howard fan. Nice. I I feel like part of the reason was I just I kept seeing him early on get you know slotted in there in like that mock level uh um, yeah he
5: was he was the guy that was getting slotted too high early on where he was going yes. like number six and that was like if you remember last year i know it's been a long time now but kendall brown out of baylor was like for a few weeks projected to go like six seven eight and that did not end up happening there's always that time of year where nobody knows who to slot kind of in that range in the lottery and, and so yeah I, I wouldn't take him number six but i do think that he did end up dropping too far in terms of where I'm seeing him now on mocks, which is like in the 20 to 30 range. And so if he goes there and that's the same range Podjemski is going. So I view those guys as two very good values and I'll just throw one other in, which is Bryce Sensabaugh, who's a fantastic score off the bounce, but also a ridiculous shooter. Uh, Struggled defensively, but again, a 6'6 wing that can score like that. Um, unfortunately, he's had knee issues, and I, those have been re- red flagged, I've heard, in in the con- or in the pre-draft process. So that's just an injury concern. Um, but if he does end up overcoming that, a guy that's definitely going to return value greater than where he's being mocked now, which is like beginning of the second round.
1: Mm, yeah, Bryce Sensible is an interesting name. I know that there's a lot of people that are torn on him as a prospect um the Pacers did not work him out and -hmm. they have a lot of picks and I kind of feel like maybe the reason why they didn't work him out is one like you said he's not a defensive kind of guy and they're looking for defensive prospects in this (laughs) in this range Mm -hmm. and I also think the injuries probably are a bit of a concern because if there's anything the Pacers know about injuries they've dealt with quite a few of them between Brogdon uh Turner and Sabonis Oladipo's injuries uh, TJ Warren had his injury that kept him out for, like, an entire season. So I think Karis LaVert as well. They were just – I think they're trying to stay away from guys that have red flags medically. Yeah, so, no, that
5: makes sense. But I don't, I don't think he's worked out for anyone because of the knee, oh, okay. as far as I've heard. Um, but, again, like, if you're talking about the 30th pick in the draft, like, you're not really missing out on, on too much if you don't hit on that pick. And so I just think, like, the
1: upside at that point in the draft would be well worth it absolutely well sam i kept you longer than i asked you for so i appreciate your time and i appreciate you giving us such good insight on what you think about this draft and i mean we're almost there man so uh thank you so much for coming on go ahead and let everybody know where they can check all your awesome work at
5: yeah you can follow me on twitter at draft dummies um they're posting my thoughts on the prospects and on the draft um as well as stats and clips and i'll be at summer league as well which is now just right around the corner and i'll be tweeting during the draft as well so and then any other work i do uh, podcast that i'm on i will also link in there so you can find any work as well as just all the things that i'm tweeting about the draft there at draft
1: dummies on twitter awesome well sam thank you again for your time and uh Maybe we can have you on after the draft and get your thoughts on what the Pacers did there with all their picks.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I'd Uh, love to. Awesome, man. We'll we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth.